0: Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out people of product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called Pillow Cube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself.
1: That's the biggest thing is not, it's like, oh, this video's got 10 million views. This is awesome. Well, why does it have 10 million views? But it's also looking at what works and what doesn't work and we do this even like with channels like mr beast or veritasium which are at the highest levels we'll look at their highest performers but then we'll also look at their lowest performers and like mr beast doesn't have like crazy low performers but he will you know he'll have a video with 100 million views and then a video with 20 million so what's the difference between those two or or even a, a smaller channel like a channel.
0: Brendan Kane, author of Hookpoint, author of Zero to a Million. Brendan, I know quite a bit about you just because of the research over the last couple of weeks since I first found your book. But how do you introduce yourself when you're meeting new people?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting question because as you know, from my books, I'm constantly testing, so it's always evolving and I always typically don't introduce myself until I know a little bit about the person. And then I craft the response based upon the input that the person gives me. But at a very, a very high level, what I do is I help companies grow very quickly. And, you know, the, the number way, one way to do that is to identify key ways that they can stand out above the noise. So that can come in any way, shape, or form based upon my experience, and I'm sure we'll get into it, uh, but it can come in the form of social media, business development, cold outreach, lead gen, whatever it may be. But at a very high level, I help companies and individuals grow at a very quick and rapid rate.
0: Well, you've got such an interesting background. Started tech
1: companies, used to work at Lakeshore
0: Entertainment, making big Hollywood movies, you know, go from zero to hundred million people finding out about it in 90 days, right? helping Rihanna and Taylor Swift and work with Jason Satham and Katie Kirk and 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 now you've you've really built a following can you talk about why don't we talk about the concept of hook points first
1: yeah so so the before i get into the definition of the hook point let's set the stage for the world that we live in today because that's really important you know there's over 60 billion messages sent out on digital platforms each day so what that means is we live in a very very noisy world and the world that we live in is very different than what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. The world that we live in today is you're no longer just competing against your direct competition. You're competing against every piece of content that is published on these platforms every single day. So what that means is you have to find a way to stand out. You know, in the, the new book, it's called Hook Point: How to Stand Out in a Three Second World and you know be, the reason i titled that is you literally have less than 3 seconds to capture somebody's attention that doesn't mean that you can't hold people's attention for a long period of time because we see that where people will binge watch a show on netflix for 10 or 15 hours over a weekend or they'll listen to a 2 hour podcast but the the biggest reason most people are struggling to scale or they're they're struggling to capture the attention of their competitors, consumers, or even their own consumers is they're not standing out in those three seconds. So what a hook point is, it's designed to do just that. And there's three core pillars to creating a successful hook point. Number one, we talk about pattern interruption is how can you identify the pattern of the content that's being produced every day, either in your specific industry or just across the entire globe, because you need to understand the pattern first before you can interrupt it. And what that means is if we just take a visual and this can apply to anything, it's not just social media, but I'll just use social media as an example is going back uh, to what I said is you're competing against every piece of content. So Let's imagine your core consumer opens up Instagram. They just watched LeBron James dunk a basketball. They just watched the latest Netflix trailer. They watch Kevin Hart tell a joke. Then your content comes up. What's going to get them to stop after watching all that other content? And some people will say, oh, it has to be high production value, or it has to be fancy, or I can't do it. That's not the case. You can literally do it with your iPhone. It's just about how do you intelligently understand the pattern and the consumption behavior of individuals. In, in consuming content, and then just get them to stop to win the first three seconds, because without winning the first three seconds, you can never have that chance of telling your story, telling what you're about your mission, your brand, your product or service, whatever that is so that the first core pillar is how do you just get somebody to stop and we could talk a little bit about how to do that in, in a bit. And then it moves to the second core pillar. Now you have their attention. How can you hold that attention for as long as possible? Because we're not talking about clickbait here. We're not talking about tricking people because those days of clickbait are really over. Like You have to have substance that matches the way that you get somebody to stop. So that's the second core pillar is how long do you hold that attention for? And the third core pillar is do people trust and believe in what you're saying? Now, all three of these have to play together because if you don't get somebody to stop in those first three seconds, if you don't master the art of gaining that attention and pattern interruption, you never get to your story. Now, if you get somebody to stop, but your story is horrible, then you've lost that attention and it doesn't matter. Now, if you've got somebody to stop and your story's good, but people don't believe it or they don't trust it then it falls apart. So all three of those things have to come together successfully to win in today's world.
0: You know, we talked about this just a little bit before the show, but on another interview, I heard you say that you feel like the thing that 99% of marketers are getting wrong these days is this of those three parts, they're not mastering the pattern interruption. Can you, can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating because we work with startups and we work with multi-billion dollar corporations and it's across the board is people are still creating content and designing content under the premise that they have attention. And that's not the case in the world we live in today. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine. Uh, His name is Ernest Lupinacci, and he's one of the, the, the smartest creative directors in the world, worked with the biggest brands and we were just talking about it. And if you just think about before pre-social media, there was only so many outlets that you could syndicate content. Like you talk about, think about television advertising prior to TiVo and social media and all this stuff, is you're essentially forced to watch that, you know, or you're flipping through a magazine, there's only so many ads there. So it's, you know, it's easier to kind of have that buy-in or same with radio, you're waiting for the next song to play. So the content's there. The problem is the world that we live in today, there's far more content, there's far more noise. You know, Again, 60 billion messages sent out every single day. It was not even close to that 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago. So most people, when they're designing content, are still designing content under the old methodologies of how you you storyteller, how you sell or how you market. And you know, just to give you an example, is the, the the biggest contributing factor to your success specifically on social media comes down to the algorithms. Now, I'm not going to get into technical explanations of what the algorithms are because we don't need to. But you, what you do need to know is the algorithms control how many people see your content. And that's where this concept of pattern interruption comes into play. Because the, the first thing that these algorithms are going to look for is, do people stop? So on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, even Twitter, they're looking, do, you, do people stop the scroll? YouTube, it's in the form of, do people click the thumbnail and the headline? So that's the first metric that they're looking at. And then the second metric they're looking at is how long are people staying and engaging with that content? Because the algorithms have one job and one job only, and that's to keep you on the platforms longer because that's how they make money. The longer people stay on the platforms, the more ads they can serve, the more money they're, they're gonna make. So the algorithms are always going to prioritize the content that one, gets people to stop and two, holds their attention for a long period of time. So if we were each to open up Instagram right now, there's probably a thousand pieces of content it could seed to us based on all the people that we follow and the content we've engaged with. The problem is, If we open up the app and a thousand pieces of content were just pushed to us, we would get so overwhelmed and we would leave. So the algorithms have to say, okay, what are the top 15 posts that I'm going to prioritize that I believe based upon this um, user's interactions in the past is going to hold their attention for the longest period of time. So what that really means is there's 985 posts that are going to deprioritize and not reach that individual. And this is where you see brands or individuals have amassed large followings and don't have a lot of engagement or views or whatever that may be. It's not that they have an unengaged audience. It's not that they have a fake following. It's that the algorithms have deemed that there's better content out there that they're that that's going to hold their attention. And this analogy plays not just to social media, but any form of, of advertising. It was, I was, I was reading a Forbes article. That said, the average person is exposed to between 4,000 and 10,000 ads every single day. So what that means is the average person ignores about 4,000 to 10,000 ads every day. So that's where this concept of pattern interruption that most people don't focus on, and it's very simple. What all you got to do is two things: you got to get people to stop and hold their attention for as long as you possibly can. But that doesn't mean it's necessarily easy. And it's a, it's a huge mindset shift to the way that people are taught about marketing and coming up. And that's why I see that a majority of people are, are failing in today's world because they're operating under, under assumptions of the way that the world used to work. Yeah.
0: You know, I feel like there's so much packed in there and, and I think we should, I mean, I want to plug this a few times. Your books have, have really impacted me. My, you know, our listeners are probably sick of me Talking about audiobooks, you know, if you, if you don't count the three or 400 books from the Jason Bourne genre and the only counting business and marketing books, I've read maybe 800 or 850 books in the last handful of years. And I was on a call yesterday. One of the, one of the groups our consulting for helps run is we're helping some CEOs write their first book. So had a couple of people on there who manage, you know, one guy manages about 150 million. Another one manages 200 million. We had a woman in there who's raised $8 billion for mutual funds, you know, higher level CEOs, right? And I was telling them that in the last two and a half weeks thing I told you before we started here I've heard, I'm on my fourth time reading Hook Point in the last two weeks and I, I went and read One Million Followers twice in that period, and and by the way people those websites are book.hookpoint.com, and one million followers.com, and on the on the class yesterday they asked me when's the last time you read a book four times in a row Jess. And I said, you know what? Honestly, it's hundreds of books ago, five years ago, when I got the 8020 principle from from Richard Koch. That was the last time I've I've really had something just grab me by the throat and go, like, you do not, you are not good at this. You do not have this handled. This is something you need to spend time on. So congratulations on writing an excellent book, at least Thank according you, to one guy. But I did also feel like it was a success. We, we, I've been getting, you know, I gave copy to a billionaire, one of our clients, and to nonprofit leader, and been getting a number of other CEOs to get their own copies. But yesterday was a success point for me. I've been pushing it at our client over at Bloomberg, where we produce one of their renewable energy podcasts. And yesterday, in the emails about the new show coming out tomorrow, is written in there, "Hey, I think this needs a better hook point." So I feel like I feel like my job here is done. So what I think I want to go to next is thinking about just some of the things that you've taught for people. can, Can we just start with why? I feel like this is a really interesting subject of when you talk to people about, well, why would you want a million followers or why are you trying to do this? Like maybe you can get your same result with way less. Can, can you talk about uh, the conversation you have with the folks around that?
1: Yeah. And it, and that's exactly what I ask them when they come to me and they say they want more followers or whatever their goal is. I ask why. And the reason that I start with that is because as you know, in business and any discipline of business or marketing, whatever, or even personal life, if you want to be good at something, it takes time. It takes dedication. It takes hard work. And oftentimes People, people will take that for granted and think that everything should just be handed to them. Or there's a lot of people with social media, they see all of this news about people going viral, and all these influencers amassing huge audiences and making millions of dollars and they think, Oh, that's awesome. What I'm going to do is just create a piece of content and publish it. And all of a sudden, a million people are going to see it. And it doesn't happen that way. So I always start with, you know, one of the big questions is if they come to me from a follower perspective, and obviously I get a lot of people because of my first book that do that. The first question I ask them is, do you want to make money today or are you building for the future? You know, do you, do you, do you, do you have the ability to wait this out for a year or two and invest in that growth? And if they say, no, I need to make money today. I was like, okay, that's great. We're not going to focus on follower growth right now. We're going to focus on hook points to drive revenue. Whether that's business development deals through email, through LinkedIn, uh, or even lead gen or or conversion based marketing through social platforms, uh, but if it's the other case where it's hey you know I just I've I'm in a good place from a revenue standpoint I just need to really bolster my awareness, my visibility, mm-hmm. my validation, my credibility that will then trickle down to that then we can go in that direction so. Just even, for example, with me and the experiment, and it was just that, people get it wrong. Like me generating a million followers in 30 days was an experiment. It wasn't make me famous or make you know this, this grand plan. I set out with a very clear purpose. I wasn't going to generate a million followers in 30 days and then start selling brand deals the next day or start selling products. I was creating it as a hook point for a book. Before I even did it, I knew I could do it because it took me four years to develop the system. I called a literary agent and I said, listen, I have this idea. And this literary agent represented $5 billion worth of book sales. Like, So he knows his stuff. He's second generation publishing family. I said, if I do this, is this an interesting angle for a book? Because I was really inspired by the model that Tim Ferriss did with the 4-Hour work week and how he built his brand that way. And he said, yeah, that, that is interesting. I can get, I'll sign you as a client and I'll get you a publishing deal. So I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I did it, but f- to get that publishing deal, but I knew by having that book and having that hook, it would lead to press opportunities, podcasts, television, radio, magazines. Then it would lead to speaking around the world, you know, speaking in front of thousands of people and, and also attracts, you know, big consulting clients. But I knew that I, in that whole process, I'm like two, two and a half years into that. It took about a year year and a half to really ramp up, but I set that intention from day 1. You know, it wasn't like I had had some, you know, other consulting revenue in the mix and I could support myself in in the process. Uh, so I built that vision and I have I have clients like that. I have a friend that's made hundreds of millions of dollars and right now he just wants to give back and share his brand. So for him it's not about making money, it's just impact versus other clients we work with whether it's a dentist or a doctor or an e-commerce a company or a vitamin supplement company that it's just about purely driving revenue, then we'll focus there first. So yeah, I'm very happy that you started with that question of why, because it's where I always start. Well,
0: I think that it's great. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things in the media that tell us we should care about that or that
1: this matters. And, and the point is like, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Right. It's only um, a matter of what you do with it. Cause I know people, I know people with a million followers, that make millions of dollars a year. I know people with a million followers that make no money and I know people with 10,000 followers that make more money than people with a million followers. So it's it's really about what you do with it. You know, there's one influencer that I'm working with on a project right now and and she was one of the first top YouTubers and she was so smart that she's like listen i'm not just an influencer i'm i'm an entrepreneur and then she created a company that's valued at, at billions of dollars right now she leveraged her audience into something larger but and there's also you know youtubers that are way bigger than her that haven't done a fraction of that so it's it's really about what you do with it that matters you know that that's interesting i mean
0: i know your team has had i want to say something like you guys have generated like 50 billion views over your careers, right? And yesterday on the show, we had Daryl Eves, who has has similar type of numbers for YouTube. You know, he's one of the advisors for Mr. Beast and and some other really large channels. And it's interesting how similar you guys are. There's so many truths that I think you both have found independent. It's actually really fun to like feel them confirmed, to hear them from both of you who have such tangible experience. They're not just fluffy Theories, you know, you guys have actually lived it. You know, I think that you're one of the smartest guys. I I feel like Audible needs to send me like commission checks for how many books I'm selling. (laughs) Okay. But I tell them, like, here's the thing. This Brandon guy is really good at his stuff, but he knows nobody wants to hear something about another digital media strategies, another digital media strategist. But he figured out this is my pitch. He figured out what was going to be catnip for reporters, and reporters are going to care about how do you get how do you get a million followers in less than 30 days. And, and so that's what he did and used it so that he could get enough attention to tell them what you like, what you really need to do is not just that, because if you do just that, you're going to lose them right away. You need to have that leading to something that you're constantly testing and delivering on the promise. And these messages that were maybe, you know, less exciting, less catnip-ish, but nobody would want to hear them had you not started with the catnip. So when you think about other folks who are saying, man, this, this guy's smart. I actually agree with him. Where do I start? And they, so they go get your books and they actually believe you. And they're saying, okay, I, I actually need to start testing. I need to do what Brandon says. And they, they follow the steps in the books and they're like, okay, I'm ready to go to the next level. What's the next level? Where, where would you encourage people to, if they really want to build this as a skill set on their team?
1: Yeah. The, the first place that you have to start in, in one of the exercises that we do with our clients is you have to identify the references to build off of so what we make our clients do is an exercise where they have to go off and find gold silver and bronze references so and and those references typically are not within their industry because i'll give you an example we had we work with two of the largest vitamin supplement companies in the world and if you look at the other references of companies in the vitamin supplement com- uh, world, it's like product shots or like gifts of pills <laughs> and tablets. So with that, we have to break out of it. Uh, so we force them to go into uh, and we when we do it very platform specific is like we start with what is the platform that you want to grow on. So if it's TikTok, it's gold, bro, uh, gold, silver, bronze TikTok. If it's YouTube, it's the same thing there. But you have to segment the platform and identify those references. And the reason we do gold, bronze, and silver, you need to understand what works and what doesn't work because there's it's oftentimes it's just crazy going back to the ninety nine percent of people that that don't get the pattern interruption. They're focused on, well, does my Instagram feed match the color palette? Does it feel good when I look at the overall kind of feeling of it? Is it on brand? Is it on mission? All of these things that no social media user cares about when they're going through their feed. They're not like, when I see this post, is it, is this match with the last post that they did? Is the grid on their Instagram account matching? Does the tone feel right? Does the tone feel off? Is this on brand? Is this on? No, they don't care. So you've got to first do that homework and research to really study. Like I've been in the social media space for about 16 years now, all the way back to Friendster. And even today with my team and my creative director, who's one of the smartest social minds on the planet, we, every day we're sending content back and forth. We're like, check out this video, check out this ad. Did you see this? Did you see that? And we actually enjoy that process because that's how we learn. That's how we get better. And in everybody in my book, especially in 1 Million Followers, the people that have massive su- success and still have it, they have the same philosophy. They never they never get complacent. They're always constantly learning and testing. And I love that you bring up Mr. Beast because like, they're the smartest. Mr. Beast will spend a million dollars in a video and he won't even post it if he doesn't feel that it's you know, right there and, right on, and spot on. So the first place is you have to become a student of the game. And ignore the advice of every social media guru and manager out there and do the homework yourself because you are going to be your best asset. And then once you identify those references, then start putting them to work, start actually creating them and see if you can reproduce those results.
0: So let's say, you know, we have a lot of entrepreneurs, investment company managers who, who listen to the show. If they're saying like, this is worth the time for us to build a team who has this expertise, we are going to figure out what it takes to practice this enough to get good at it. I mean, would you recommend like literally having spreadsheets and like, instead of it just being verbal, like people actually writing it down and saying, look at this one and then look at the results, look at this one and their results or what, what might be a suggestion there?
1: A hundred percent. You should, on your references, create a spreadsheet, pull out the references and the performance, but also then write a hypothesis of why you think it's working or not working. That's the biggest thing is not, it's like, oh, this video has got 10 million views. This is awesome. Well, why does it have 10 million views? But it's also looking at what works and what doesn't work. And we do this even like with channels like Mr. Beast or Veritasium, which are at the highest levels. We'll look at their highest performers, but then we'll also look at their lowest performers. And like Mr. Beast doesn't have like crazy low performers, but he will, you know, he'll have a video with 100 million views and then a video with 20 million. So, what's the difference between those two? Or or even a, a smaller channel, like a channel that maybe has 200,000 followers on Instagram, identify, well, what are the highest performers and their lowest performers and actually sit down and write down, well, what is the driving force of the high performer and the driving force of the low performer? So you want to do that for your references, but then you want to do it for every content that you create yourself. You want to set the intention and a hypothesis. I'm going to test this to see how it works. And if it works, Um, great, then you know, you can build off of that. If it doesn't work, then you say, okay, maybe this hypothesis doesn't work, or maybe I need to shift the direction of how I present this content.
0: You know, my next question is you think about how many people have paid a lot of attention to social media and haven't been able to produce the results you produced. When you think about all the success you've had, what do you attribute it to? What do you think you've done differently?
1: It's, it's two things. It's one understanding hook points and understanding how to stand out, how to grab that attention and contextualize your message in a unique way. And then two, it's this never ending desire to constantly be learning, constantly be challenging ourselves. Like I am on the phone every day with the smartest and brightest people in the world and exchanging informations or strategies. You know, we have people, I have a friend that's mastered hacking Quora so him and I trade information back and forth. I have a friend now that has 12 million followers on TikTok. We're trading information about what's working for him, what's working for us. So I think the combination of those two things, and we're never complacent. Like we just keep working at it and, and getting better and smarter. And the the thing is, is if something doesn't work, we don't get upset about it. We learn from it and keep iterating until we get it to work. And that's I think is. You know, obviously the key to success in anything, but it's just amazing that people kind of miss that when it comes to social media. Do
0: you have any thoughts for staying motivated? Like people are saying like, man, this is so smart. My, you know, my business has needed this for five years. We're going to do this. And then, you know, just like any new skill, it's hard at first. And what you thought was working doesn't work. And, the, you know, there'll be discouragement learning any skill. Do you have any thoughts about overcoming discouragement um, or disappointment in our own performance if we're just Im- embarking on this path?
1: Yeah, it's it goes goes back to that why question. Like, why are you doing it? What's the ultimate goal? Like, you know, oftentimes I'll ask people, it's like, OK, let's just say you get a million followers tomorrow. Or you get 10 million views a month what does that do for you what does it do for your business what does it do for your personal life your lifestyle because oftentimes we need to have this guidepost of inspiration of what it does you know for me a big part of it is i will never work a desk job in my life i just can't do it it's not there it's like and i have this mentality that i always go back to and it's it's so ingrained in me it's almost it's pretty much subconscious But it's kind of that old adage of the Vikings showing up in enemy territory and burning their boats behind them, giving them no option but moving forward. I have that, you know, because I don't want to live a life behind a desk. And my my passion is sharing and teaching people. And so I keep fueling myself to learn more. And I also have a lot of self doubt in myself from early childhood and like stuff that goes on there. And that drives me even more. So if something doesn't work or somebody criticizes, me or something that I do that fuels me even more to just get better and get smarter and get more experience in the specific discipline.
0: Yeah. I love it. You know, you get interviewed a lot and I'm interested. What's, what's either something that people don't ask you enough or something that's just one of your favorite things to talk about?
1: Well, I think we've covered it a little bit, but the interesting thing is people just want to know how I did these things and help, you know, generate millions of followers and billions of views for our clients but they don't, they don't talk more about the mindset of it because that's so critically important to, to the success of it. And I think also just the mental health aspect of it, like you're talking about motivation, but like, you know, how, how do you stay motivated? How do you stay inspired through it and through the challenges? Because this stuff isn't easy. It's not easy to do. And you have to have that solid foundation uh, to make sure that you're successful with it. When you think about
0: that mindset, I mean, we've, we've covered a number of things here so far. Do you, by the way, do you have courses or have you thought about coming out with courses?
1: Yeah, we have a few courses. So we just, we just finished a course for, for Hookpoint, and uh, I can give you access to that. It's not like publicly available. So if people want it, they can message me directly. We do have a course around, we have two courses around 1 million followers. One is just really the follower growth principles. And one is more about how you leverage an audience to, to monetize. Uh, but that's the extent of the courses that we have right now.
0: Cool. Thinking about this, you know, it's, it's obvious that this is like a core value for you is helping others, this teaching that you do. Where do you think that comes from?
1: Uh, I think it, it comes from early childhood and just the way that, that I was brought up and, and raised you know, there's there's a part of it that I I have a deep desire for connection with people and I often find and for better or worse of connection through providing value, you know. And I say better or for worse because some people try and take advantage of it, and you know, and some people really appreciate it and some people hate it and try and tear you down. Mm-hmm. So there's a little bit of a, a mixture of all of that, but I learned very early on at least for me, the best way to be successful, the best way to connect with the people I admire, the best way to achieve success is through helping others. And like people always ask, well, how did you get MTV as a client? How did you get Taylor Swift as a client? Or you know, work with these amazing people. Like my friend, it's funny, he calls me a walking lead magnet. And the reason is I never go into any meeting with an agenda of I want to sell something. I go into meeting of like I want to understand who this person is I want to understand how they perceive the world And then from there, I can provide strategy or assistance based on everything that I know to say, okay, if you want to achieve this, or this is your greatest pain porter pain or challenge, this is the way that I would approach it. And it can come from like working with us, or it can be like, Hey, you should read this book, or you should talk with my partner that specializes in this. It's all about providing value. There's no sales pitch. There's no deck. There's none of that. It's just really going, understanding the individual from a psychology standpoint. And I think that again, what you say is why do 99% of people go wrong is when they're designing content, they're designing it for themselves. They're not designing it for the other person. And I don't know if you remember the sections in the book that talk about the communication model that we use internally, but we dive really deep into human psychology and identify the different ways that people perceive the world. And we contextualize our messages to make sure that it can connect with the widest population possible. So that's, kind of where it all stems from.
0: Uh, it's funny you bring that up. It's literally like the next thing I have my notes here today is to get you to talk about these different types of people, the logic, emotions, fun, reflection, and And, and just why fun facts and feelings covers 75% of the population and and how you guys utilize that.
1: Yeah. So I've been using this communication framework for about seven years. It's been around for about 40 years. And this psychologist in the seventies, as he was studying human transactional analysis, identified that, that we perceive the world in six different ways. But I want to say we don't put you in a box. Like you have access to all of the six, but typically we find, and this is backed by over a million profiles of data, that that people will kind of perceive the world in one or two ways as their strengths, and then the rest will kind of be their weaknesses. But again, you can access, if you're getting your psychological needs met, you can access all six and be balanced. But once you understand how people perceive the world or how an individual perceives the world, it dictates how they communicate and how they want to be communicated to. So in the 70s, NASA picked up on this. And if you've ever seen a movie talking about identifying the right candidates for the space program they'll you'll see these rooms, uh, they'll stick people in these crazy rooms, and they'll put you through like a two day psych evaluation. So they brought this guy in, stuck him in the back of the room. In 10 minutes, he'd write down on a piece of paper how they perceived the world and whether they're right for the space program, drop it on the ground and leave. And after that, they retrained their entire space program around it. And then from there, Bill Clinton found out about it after he lost the re-election of governor of Arkansas. And he made this guy move down and train him and his entire staff in this. And this, he proceeded to use this become the president in the United States. And no matter what your political viewpoint is, if you talk to anybody that's met Bill Clinton, they say he make, as soon as he meets you, he makes you feel like you're the only person in the room because the minute he shakes your hand, he can read your, your facial expressions, your body tone and see the words you're using and can speak to you in the way that you perceive the world. And then also people don't know about this, but Pixar secretly has writers and staff. They won't t- talk about it, but all their writers for the screenplays are trained in this that's why you see pixar as the most successful movie startup of all time and why they get attract such a diverse audience because they have a character designed to each of the ways that people perceive the world and and we we really say that communication is math because there's solid numbers around this so for example the six different ways that people perceive the world is Feelings and emotions is the biggest, which is 30% of the population. Thoughts and logic is another big one. Fun and humor. Reflections. People that just reflect in the world, like the Albert einstein they're just staring off into space. People that just act. So they don't think, they don't feel, they just act. So like Tom Cruise in Mission Impossible, what is he doing the entire movie? He's running. And then there's people that perceive the world through values and opinions. So we talk about focusing on the big three, fun, feelings, and fact, because those three combined represents uh, 75% of the way that people perceive the world. And oftentimes, and we see this a lot in the non-for-profit space or political or charity, they typically perceive the world through values and opinions. And the the trouble is only 10% of the population perceive the world that way. So they'll often alienate and turn off 90% or for example like me i perceive the world through through thoughts and logic if i just spoke from that that's only 25% so i'm alienating 75% of the population so when we're working with clients or we're working on our own projects We're really looking at how we're contextualizing messages based upon reaching the widest audience. And like if a client comes to us, we make them take the profile assessment or we make their entire team take it so that we can define what their strengths and weaknesses are for ourselves, but also for them to make sure that when we're creating strategy, it takes that into consideration. That's awesome. Who is the, who is the guy that came up with that? His name is Taby Caller.
0: Okay. And, and is there like an online test people can take or what's, do they have a program? What is that?
1: Yeah. Unfortunately, they are not very business savvy and business minded. So if anybody wants to get the profile test or or training, they can reach out directly to me. So I just hired one of the few master trainers in the world. Uh, he was running for, uh, a school for James Cameron and his wife that was all trained in this model. So we're kind of one of the forefront leaders in bringing this this model to to the market. Oh, that's great.
0: Well, you know, similar to how algorithms can't just dump a thousand pieces on us and us actually consume them, right? I'm sure, you, you know, every company has bandwidth issues and you guys can only work with a certain number of clients. When you're choosing who to accept as a client, what does that criteria look like?
1: The biggest thing is mindset is like, do they have the right mindset going into it? You know, we, you know, obviously it's, it's costly to work with us, but we don't turn away somebody because of the size of their company. You know, we, we want to see, are they going to take what we give them and actually implement it and test it and execute on it? So to me, that's really the, the the core factor that we're looking at as a team to determine whether we can really help this, this person or this company
0: grow. And then do you guys disclose kind of like what kind of, contract range? Like how, how big does uh, a contract have to be kind of to get on your radar? Like what's the minimum kind of engagement that you guys are typically looking for?
1: Yeah. So the way that we start right now is we start with our hook point um, strategy sessions because that serves as the foundation for the entire business, the entire strategy. And that's, you know, a short-term engagement. It's, it takes about a month, month and a half to complete that engagement. Uh, and it's broken down into two, to three in-depth uh, strategy sessions with us. And then from there, we get a sense of, uh, do we like the client? Is the client like us? And then we can move on from there. So we don't upfront, we don't lock people into like a uh, huge long-term contracts because to me, it's just like, I've been burned in the past of like having the nightmare client or the client that doesn't, you know, appreciate what we do or, or just the, the, the connections not there. So we start in that capacity of, of our hook point strategy sessions.
0: And do you disclose the price on that? Or is that something they should talk to you about?
1: Yeah, we, you know, and obviously depending on when people are listening to this, the pricing can, can change, but, but our core package is at 15,000 to do those sessions with us. And if they're interested, they just just go to hookpoint.com and schedule a call with our team and they can walk them through it in detail. That's great. Well, you've had a lot of
0: success. Things, things appear to be going great for you. What's, what's next? What are you looking forward to? What, what's like. What's the next version of what you're up to?
1: Well, there's, there is, there's still a lot of work to be done with hook point and bringing that to the world. And we're working, we're contemplating starting a third book soon all around communication and really the psychology of communication. But we're, we, we, again, we still have a lot of work to with hook point And we just see that, as you mentioned, is like the the biggest problem. That people have in in really breaking through and standing out, whether it is an author coming up with a title for a book or a multi-billion-dollar corporation that's looking to to scale to that to that next level. That's great. By the way, where did you grow up? I grew up in Chicago. Okay.
0: What? Oh, I guess I should have thought about that with your dad and all the legal stuff in Chicago. What kind of advantages do you think you got from growing up there?
1: Well, I, I think you know, there's obviously some clear advantages and there's some clear disadvantages. I think the advantage is the midwest is very welcoming it's very grounding there's there's not a lot of i would say like chaos and movement so there's there's a solid foundation to to that and you know obviously the the school systems are, are pretty solid there as well i would say the downside with it is it's very linear in its mindset it's one of the reasons i left is there's not a lot of openness to new ideas or pursuing new ideas And for me, like, I want to experience everything. I want to experience the craziest idea, experience new cultures, ways of living, you know, and I moved to LA to pursue a career in film. And, you know, yes, LA has some crazy people and and some very non-grounded people, but there's so much diversity there. And it's also why I spend so much time traveling is always meeting new people and new ways of thinking and new life, new ways of living life. Yeah. Thinking back
0: to, you know, why you went to Lakeshore in the first place. Do you ever have any interest in, in producing movies anymore?
1: Is that phase past for you? Is that something you consider in the future? Producing movies? Potentially. Potentially. It depends on the right fit. Like I still consult for friends that produce movies that need help with marketing strategy, but it's really hard with the studio system. Like I look w- like working more with independent producers because the studio system is is so stuck in their ways and it's so antiquated in, in their, their models and even just their business models completely flawed. And you're seeing this with COVID and what's happening there. So my love is first and always will be movies. It's just, it depends on the right opportunity and to make sure that people will actually take the advice and execute on it. Like, and it's the same thing with politicians. Like I've got an approach for presidential campaigns. I've got an approach for mayor campaigns, governor campaigns, and it's like, listen, if you have a big team and like, you're not going to really listen to my advice, then just stick with your team. But if you really want to dig in and trust me and my team and my insights, yeah, I'll definitely consider it. Very
0: cool. Well, so it sounds like if you had a leadership role and it was an independent, that would increase the probabilities that, yeah. <laughs> that you'd be interested.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, again, like I have friends that I, I, that I help out even though they deal with the studios and stuff. And I just like that, like I have a friend right now who's movies kind of tanking because the, the marketing wasn't spot on. So I'm helping them and putting together some, some strategy that they can help get it to where it needs to be.
0: Yeah. You know, I I've especially paid attention to your advice about interview shows and, and just the success you had with Katie Kirk and, and this idea of set, you know, talking about the hook point before the interview has even happened was really revolutionary to me. And, you know, it's interesting where you talked about interviews that are with famous people, but aren't, don't get the views. Right. You know, and I really had to look at this show and go like done like, you know, 550 episodes. We've had, you know, very high profile people on it at certain times. And when I look at our results, I really am not impressed with what I've been able to do. And I I think your book is actually my whole team's been reading it. And we're really thinking like kind of making the show 2.0. Like what if we what if we wipe everything that we've got? And, and really have a look at like, what do we keep? What do we do different? How do we do all this? You know, one of the interesting things I was listening to one of your interviews, and, and you had talked about how you thought the Joe Rogan clips had actually been a great boost for his podcast. Can you can you talk about that?
1: Yeah, it's a it's a, it's a huge driver. And again, it goes back to this concept of a hook point. And You know, so so other people who haven't read the book is when I when I was approached by Katie Couric, she she was introduced to me. And you know, obviously Katie is known for being on television and being on the Today Show and 60 Minutes and all these things. And I was introduced to her after she signed this digital first distribution deal with Yahoo. And she came to me and she's like, Brendan, like I'm struggling. Like people are coming up to me on the street, being like, Katie, we miss you, but we have no idea where you're at. They didn't even know because she was getting suppressed in the algorithms and she was taking her uh, television approach and trying to apply it to digital. And what I, you know, explained to her was with television, like the today show, like it's ingrained in people's habitual nature. They would wake up, they turn on the TV, they're making coffee, they're getting kids ready for school, whatever it may be. And they'll sit there and watch no matter what the story is, because it's ingrained in their behavior versus going digital first there is no set schedule for it you know there's a in podcast and in interview there's no set schedule so you're fighting against the algorithms you're fighting for attention and all these things and so sitting with her i was like okay when is your next interview and she's like oh it's 2 hours from now and i was like oh great cuz i don't know anything about journalism I, I went to film school but i didn't learn journalism or any of this stuff so i was like perfect i'm being put on the spot and i got to figure out a solution in the, in the next 20 minutes So I asked her, who who is the interview with? And she said it's with the actress, Elizabeth Banks. So I said, okay, Elizabeth Banks, she's in the Hunger Games movie franchise. She's in Pitch Perfect, and she's a strong feminist advocate. So those are our three audiences. Now let's not start with questions, which everybody starts with interviews, let's look at the end output. And in my head, I always visualize, okay, a Hunger Games fan is scrolling through their feed. A Pitch Perfect fan is scrolling through their feed. What's going to get them to stop? What is a hook that's going to be like, I need to know what this is about. So that's what I did is is we worked with her to design those hook points for each of those audiences. We had like five to 10 hook points for Pitch Perfect fans, for Hunger Games fans and, and feminist advocates. And then she took those to conduct the interview and the reason I start with hook points instead of questions, and I know you've seen this interviewing so many people, is you ask a question and people could either not answer it or redirect it, or the response just falls flat. Versus if you have the hook point, if you know what you're looking for, then you can try and ask different directions or, or take it in different ways. So they came back with this 30 minute completed interview. And then I went through and I cut out all of the hook points. So, and they were between 30 to thirty seconds to three minutes long. And I would have each of those hook points. And then I would go into Facebook and test them all against each other. And what I would do is I would create multiple variations of it. So for each hook point clip, I would create upwards of a hundred variations of each one. And what a variation means is I will like test different headlines, calls to actions, captions, the top comment, the first three seconds, whether we're sending it to females or males or what, what part of the world. And I would sit there. So each interview, I would have upwards of like 300 to 1,000 variations. And I would sit there in real time and measure the the share velocity, which ones were being shared. And over the course of like seven or eight hours in real time, I would take it from like 1,000 variations to three winning ones. And then with those three winning ones, then I would say, hey, if you love this this clip of Elizabeth Banks talking about why Jennifer Lawrence is such a badass on set with this amazing story you'll never believe, you should go watch the rest of the, the interview on Yahoo!. So we used that process. I think I did 220 interviews with her, ranging from like a Dolly Parton to a DJ Khalid to a Joe Biden. And we tested 75,000 variations of these hooks. And we got so good at testing the hooks, looking at the data, that we would have a very high hit rate or success rate of what hook points to start. And then Katie, based on our genius, could figure out how to navigate the interview to get that output. So going back to your original thing about Joe Rogan, is Joe Rogan has two channels on YouTube. He has the full interview and then he has a clips channel. And if you go and look at his clips channel, he'll have anywhere between three to eight clips of an interview. And the clips are what drives his performance. And it's how I consume his content. Like I'll start with the clips and then if it's super interesting and I have the time, then I'll dive into the full interview. But even that, I don't know if they're consciously doing this. I think intuitively they've, they've found this model and they're not the only one that does a separate clips channel. But if you look at it, you can clearly see the high performers and the low performers because they don't hit it out the gate all the time. But with each interview, if you have three to 10 hook points promoting that interview and you're doing two or three interviews a week, you're bound to get some of those ones that break through and generate tens of millions of views that then pump the brand, pump the audience. And one of the things that I believe is the contributing factor to Joe Rogan's success is he can make somebody you have never heard of interesting, and it starts with those clips. And also, if you watch his interviews, he never starts with "Tell me about your background" or anything. He just starts right into the conversation. So I know I just threw a lot at you, but that's kind of the way that I see hook points playing to interviews for podcasts, television, or even editorial as well.
0: So when you're running all those tests for Katie. What are you spending over those you know, six or eight hours when you're running those variations?
1: Very little. I mean, I, I, I did this with Katie, I don't even know how long ago, probably like three years ago. And I got to a point where I was testing so much, I could tell within 10 to 15 cents on a variation what it was gonna do. Cause I had so much historical data built up, but you gotta set that benchmark for yourself. And I'm not suggesting that you have to test via paid. Like you could do the Joe Rogan thing and do it completely organic. But Uh, but if somebody
0: did want to be paid, you know, what, what, what's a good budget to keep in mind of like, to be able to do that variation, especially knowing they're not going to be as good at you as you to begin with.
1: I mean, it, it really depends on the number of hooks you're testing. I mean, you could test as little as $50. If you're just testing a few hooks all the way up to like a few hundred dollars, I wouldn't really extend beyond that unless you get something that works. Like for example, we had one her our highest performing interview was with a guy named Brandon Stanton who's the founder of Humans of New York. And through that, we tested and we found a variation that was working so well, we kept spending into it because I think we spent, I don't know the exact budget, but we, we spent in to advertise to get a million views and those a million paid views turned into 60 million organic views because the share velocity was so high. So we decided to spend more into that because it was yielding the KPIs that we were going after.
0: You know, it makes me think like, So for us, you know, we're doing shows five days a week, we're probably going to go to seven days a week. And I can see this idea of like, my team, who's kind of our content factory now, like pulling the hooks, doing the testing, we've got that for the show. But like, if we want to take things to the next level, I've been trying to think of like, what is what is stuff that would actually break through, you know, and like, it makes me think like investing in other videos, like trying to layer hook points, I'd be interested if if you think this is a bad idea. But like, you know, could we get a high profile person who, you know, celebrity trying to promote their book or something. And we, we make a video where we're promoting their book and, and it's a fundraiser for the charity of their choice. And we try to break a Guinness Book of World Record in the video or something like that. When you think about like layering hook points or doing different things that would, you know, that people haven't seen before from that celebrity, are are those interesting ideas or what, what kind of direction would you have?
1: You can layer hook points, but you have to be very careful with it because you can't confuse the the, the viewer uh, or the cons- consumer. oftentimes, you know, I'll I'll see people have like multiple calls to action, different calls to action, in like an email outreach or LinkedIn outreach. Or even in a video and it confuses the user like you want to be very clear and again maybe I almost need a separate channel for that or something yeah i mean again it's you want to just be very aware of why people consume content in social media they're not going to consume something because it's a celebrity they're not going to consume something because it's a charity they're going to consume something because the hook is strong enough it's going to bring them into a story that they want to learn. Like. He, you know, talk, going back to Mr. Beast as he did the tree planting campaign. It was wildly successful. I, I, I don't know, I think the video has like 50 million views and they raised like $22 million. They exceeded their goal. Why was it successful? Because planting trees is not a sexy subject. It's never gone viral. And we studied this, like protecting the environment doesn't go viral. There, there's only two cases I know of it going viral. Mr. Beast is one and Prince EA is another. And what they both do is they tell an amazing story. He's like, Mr. Beast is like, hey, what well guys, we're going to try and plant 20 million trees. And then you see them plant one tree. And he's like, oh, there's one tree. And then they keep trying to plant more trees. He makes it fun and interesting. And then at the end, it's like, hey, guys, if you want to support this, go here and contribute for every dollar we raise, we can plant one tree. And there wasn't like a hidden agenda in it. It was just a fun and engaging piece. And it went super viral. And it wasn't just his contributors. He got Elon Musk. He got the CEO of YouTube, Jack Dorsey, all these people to contribute, not because he went out and asked them, but because the content was so good. So the core focus is what is the content? What are we, what is the story we're telling? How is this going to engage, inspire, educate somebody? Like another uh, great example is the World Economic Forum. Like they do an amazing job of hooks around their content. Now, some of them completely bomb and some of them are completely successful and you can go and research them. The Dodo is another great one. It's around animals and a lot of the stories around animal rescues and it's around stories around these animals. And why does it work so well? It's not because it's a cute dog, because I can show you plenty of accounts that have cute dogs that don't perform. It's because they have a story. And we see narrative works really well. Why? Because It plays to what all the algorithms want, which is retention. And when we think about stories going back to early childhood, there's a beginning, there's a middle and an end. And when we hear the beginning of a story, we want to hear what the end of it is, unless it's a really bad story. And that builds retention and that builds success.
0: that's great. Well, listen, I appreciate how much time you've given us here. Obviously, I think everybody should be going to book.hookpoint.com as well as 1millionfollowers.com and getting their own copies. And, and I appreciate that you haven't kept all this stuff to yourself and that the rest of us can benefit from it.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's my mission is to just help as many people as possible, get their, their message out there.
0: That's great. Okay. Thanks.